Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. This is episode 159. A quick announcement before we jump into the podcast. Macrofab will be at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. We are teaming up with Particle.io to put together a hardware happy hour. It will take place on Friday, March 8th from 4 p.m. until 8 p.m. at the super cool Jester King Brewery. Check out the show notes for full details to and to RSVP. Join us for food and refreshments and network with fellow hardware nerds and kick off your South by Southwest weekend. So, what is today, Stephen? Today is the three-year anniversary of the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. Cheers Woo! to that. Cheers. I think at the, on the two-year, we actually cracked a beer. Like, Yeah, ours are already open right now, though. <laughs> Three years, rock on. Yeah. So uh, next week, we'll be celebrating episode 160. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just do a celebration every week. Yeah. Now, this is great. Three years. Three years, yeah. It's... When was it? I can't remember. I think it was like 110 or something like that, where for some reason, like a couple weeks in a row, I kept just being like astonished that we were still doing podcasts and you told me to stop doing that. And so we stopped <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's been a fun ride. And um, hey, here's to many, many more. Many more years. Um, so I did write an article about the last three years of the MacFab Engineering Podcast. So go check that on the blog. There's going to be a link in the podcast description to get to there as well. It basically covers like my favorite podcasts, uh, Stephen's favorite podcasts, um, some cool like guests we've had and some interesting stats. Like we have over 300,000 downloads over the entire course of the podcast, which is pretty crazy to think about. But if you add up all the time downloaded, it's over 25 years of audio. <laughs> <laughs> 25 years of audio downloaded <laughs> throughout all 300,000 of those downloads. If, if you're new to uh, listening to the podcast, go check out that article because it, sh it showcases a handful of uh, really good episodes. Uh, so if you want to just jump in and find some fun ones, that article's great. Yeah, yeah they're, they're the ones to don't go listen to episode one. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> just, just don't. <laughs> yeah, that's actually an interesting statistic I've looked at in our downloads is episode one has double the amount of downloads as episode two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> so, we, yeah. so half the people just are like, nope, this ain't for me. But it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember when we released episode one and uh, like the in the first week we got 200 listens and that was because Parker pushed it really hard and asked all of his friends to listen. And we were like, OK, well, let's try this again. Let's do another episode. And that had like 30 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, right. Oh, OK, that's how it goes. <laughs> so, yeah, go go check out that list. Um, those are the ones if you're new. If you knew, though, you're already listening now. Ooh. So you're already one of us. Yes. One of us. Podcastception. Okay. Um, with that out of the way, the chime module for the wagon. Uh, so I was going to do a schematic of it, but I got sick, and so I didn't end up, uh, didn't get around to doing it. But I did kind of like do some preliminary work, and I wrote down all the part numbers for like the ICs that are on it. So it's got a... MC14069UB, which is a uh, hex inverter. And then there is a MC14001UB, which is a quad NOR gate. 
And those are the, those are the only two like integrated circuits on the whole board. Correct. Everything else is resistors, capacitors, diodes, and a couple tr P, uh, NPN transistors. So what's the interesting thing is it somehow does two different... It does one tone. It does that noise, which is basically your key is in the, the ignition with your door open, right? And then it has the bong, 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 which is your seatbelts undone. And, and that's like the passive restraint stuff that they have to do to abide by U.S. law. <laughs> wait, wait, are the, are the, is there like a, a standard for the bings and bongs that it has to do? Not really. It's in, in the U.S. motor safety laws on that stuff. You have to have passive restraints. That's why airbags in the United States are called SRS, secondary restraint. Um, I can't remember what the last, uh, system, secondary restraint system. It's not designed to be the only thing that keeps you alive. Right. Right. Okay. So seatbelt is the first. Seatbelt's the first. And so but the thing is, America is weird as most countries don't require secondary things. Like they expect you, you're going to be wearing your seatbelt. <laughs> but in America, they are like, well, they could not be wearing their seatbelt. So you have to have something else to help that. That's like in like the early 90s, you had those cars that would like automatically built in your diagonal belt. Oh, yeah, I, I drove a car like that for years. Yeah, that, that's one of those devices that someone, some engineer or some bean counter came up with that was a, a secondary restraint style thing to get around this law. And so, like, the, that's why some cars, like, in uh, overseas, you don't have chimes or anything like that. But my, uh, my first girlfriend I had on our very first date, I go and pick her up. And she she gets into my Nissan Sentra, my my '94 Nissan Sentra. The very first thing she she does is she sits down. She doesn't realize that it's an automatic seatbelt car, and her, and it grabs her hair and just oh, and just no. like yanks it uh, like a ton of her hair. And she had long blonde hair, and it just sucked all of it up into the car. And I had to spend like 15 minutes like slowly pulling her hair out of oh, no. out of the door. <laughs> yeah, good first date. You had to get dessert that night, right? I don't. I don't even remember what we did. That's that's the one thing I remember from that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm thinking it's using the hex inverter probably to do the oscillations to make the tone, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because with a hex inverter, you can make a you can make a, an oscillator if you just feed back uh, the the output of a hex into the input of a hex and uh, do an RC filter. Mm -hmm. And just depending on the RC filter, you can control the frequency of the oscillation, which is probably how they have two different chime tones, right? Well, there's there's only one tone, but it's continuous or intermittent. Oh, okay. So so okay. So they probably so since it's a hex inverter, they have they have a handful of these things inside the chip. One is producing the tone, and I bet you one another one is set to produce the on off uh, off on yeah yeah the, the timing for that yeah and i'm gonna bet the quad nor gate is set up to do the logic of like door jam open key in seatbelt undone what do i do kind of thing <laughs> yeah i'd like to see a carno map for that you know <laughs> actually i don't even know how that actually functions like if you have all of them like undone like what does it do i don't know yet um and so it's got a couple like 
you know, NPN transistors. Like, I bet you some of them drive the giant piezo, like the metal can piezo on it. And then one is set up to drive the, uh, it's almost like a direct drive output to the seatbelt indicator lights on the dash, which is the, the that red, you know, person, the picture. <laughs> the, the red person, yes. <laughs> yes, we all, we all know that we all know that symbol, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny how like almost every every car manufacturer uses that symbol. I, I think those are standardized, aren't they? I don't know if that's standardized. Yeah, no, or I'm not. Pr- I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that and the low tire one. Which if you haven't ever seen the low tire one before, you look at it, you're like, what is this trying to tell me? You know, like, well, yeah, it's like a triangle with an exclamation mark in it. It's like, what does what? Oh no, the the uh, the low tire one looks like um. Looks like some weird, like circular calipers or something like that. It's oh yeah, super- okay. on some cars, yeah. I think on Toyotas, it's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's like if you looked up like uh, seatbelt indicator light, like that was the free one that you can download online. That's why everyone <laughs> yeah, uses it. Sure, they're not gonna they're not gonna spend the time to draw that. Yeah. They're gonna design a car, but that's where they're gonna cut corners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so on that Chime module, I bet you. The way that they produce like the on-off signal, I bet you that they're, they're not getting fancy with it. It's probably they're putting their signal to the piezo or or through an amplifier of some sort, probably just a transistor amplifier. And I bet you they have another transistor that when they when they t- put its uh, base high because it's all NPN, it probably just shunts the signal to ground. That's how they get the on-off on-off. It's probably exactly that because that's like that's the cheapest possible way to do that. Yep. And so my question to our listeners is, so it's a single-sided board. What would be the best way or fast? I wouldn't say the best way. What's the fastest way to reverse engineer a PCB? To go from this PCB to a schematic. So you want to, your end result is a schematic, not a copy of the PCB, right? Correct. I just want a schematic so that we can look at it and say, okay, this is how this thing functions. I don't know. Let me call up China real quick and ask how they do it. <laughs> so I had the idea of so when I did the air, the air uh, the air conditioner control module, that was a really simple circuit, and so I was able to like just like use a multimeter in continuity mode, and that w- that only took like thirty minutes to do. But I started doing this, and this is way more complicated. It's got like four times the parts on it. It yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, it takes a while. And I'm like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I've been thinking about, you know, take a picture of the board and then draw on the traces or like do contrast manipulation to bring the traces out and then put that image into like Eagle because I can import a, a, a image into Eagle um, as an overlay and then put all the parts down like where they would physically be and then just connect them with nets. <laughs> yeah. So so you're drawing the schematic on the PCB. Yes. Yeah. It should work. Yeah, that could work. Right? Every time I've ever done a reverse engineer on a PCB, it's just I've got a I've got a piece of paper, I look at the board, I follow a trace, see what it hits, draw that, follow a trace, see what it hits, draw that. Like I don't know of any better way other than like, you know, using an X-ray machine. Yeah. That, that's what that was the method I was using. I'm like, man, this is just taking too long. I don't ha- I don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I the way what we described, I, I can't think of any other way they would do things. Yeah, because I mean, like, obviously that thing was built to a price point. 
like they oh, yes, were going yes. as cheap as possible. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm less curious about the oscillator because if you see a hex inverter in something that makes a, a noise, you automatically know it's, okay, they're just using that as an oscillator. But uh, the Norgate stuff would be interesting to see what is their logic on there. Yeah, yeah. Although one thing, though, uh, they very much guaranteed are filtering that hex inverter because if you put a raw hex inverter wave into a piezo that would be one of the most awful sounds you could possibly listen to i mean to. it is pretty awful if you recall it's it's i mean it's not great but but they're not just putting a, a just a nasty square wave into it it's got a little round edge on it i think there's a there's a capacitor somewhere that's just <laughs> taking the edge off of it <laughs> taking all those harmonics out right yeah 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 because hex inverters are pretty good at making sharp edges yes uh, that's their job. All right, so hopefully by the next podcast, I have this done, and um, then we can actually dive into it. And maybe I'll bring up the other module we need to repair, the uh, compass and temperature module that's in the overhead console on the wagon. Well, you're going up in difficulty in terms of reverse engineering. Now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. How many? How many modules... First of all, are on that car, and how many are broken? Okay, so um, so there's the ignition control module, which it controls the um, the uh, the basically the spark that goes to the distributor. Um, that is functioning, um, and I'm not using it anymore. I've upgraded to a GM style uh, um, HEI, which is high energy ignition. So it uses more voltage, basically. Um, so that works, but it's not in the car anymore. There is the air conditioner control module, which didn't work, but now works because we fixed it with a new transistor and capacitors. There is the intermittent right wiper for the windshield wipers. That works fine. Um, there is the cruise control module, which does not... It works. I would not trust it, though, because it, like... You'll be cruising along, and then it'll decide to change speed. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, change speed? Yeah, all of a sudden wants to, like, accelerate or slow down. And you're like, yeah. So I went try- So I actually ripped out all the, the all that stuff. That stuff's not even in the wagon anymore. Okay. But that doesn't work. So that's four modules. There's the overhead console module, which does, like, temperature in the compass. Um, that kind of works. It doesn't display anything like you can some sometimes the display will come on and it'll be like just like that seven segment display would be all funky so i think that one just needs to be resoldered in new capacitors um so that's five and then there's a there was an option to have um actually uh a um remote like a key a remote key to unlock and lock doors the it's interesting that the basically the overhead consoles have that circuitry in it, but the rest of my car does not. Um, so technically at six, I think that's all that's in there. I can't think of anything else on the top. And of my a head. good chunk of them it, were not working. Correct. Yeah, half of them are not working. Okay, <laughs> that's a pretty good chunk. <laughs> Four out of six are not working. Um, and so my last thing is I was going through. My late uncle's like boxes of crap that I have just sitting over here. Like a lot of them are old vinyl records and 
and stuff like that. And I found this. It is a Ray Alert tester. Okay. Uh, copyright 1968, printed in USA. And it is to measure TV x-rays emitted by black and white and color sets. Oh, that is great. For $3.95, still in packaging. Yeah, it's still blister packed. Jeez, how old is that? It says, Ray Alert, the new television x-ray detection system. So my question is, you might know this, Stephen. If not, then it'd be to our listeners, is was this a legit thing back then that you had to measure x-rays coming off your TV or you would fry your kids' brains because they were watching Saturday <laughs> night or Saturday morning cartoons too close to TV. And does that were the the phrase like "Don't sit too close to TV or your eyeballs will melt"? Uh, yeah, actually, from what I know, yes, that is what it, what that phrase is from. And uh, so, yes, the, the 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 short answer is yes. Those tubes technically are capable of emitting X rays. Now, I think it's I think as soon as you say X rays. Uh, people go, well, maybe not as much nowadays, but but it used to be that people would just freak out. It, even if there was a singular particle X-ray, people would freak out. So the, those tubes are capable of emitting. They are coated on the inside. You know, if you've ever pulled out one of those tubes, they have the, they have the phosphor coating on them, but they have that big, thick, like grayish paint on them. That is to contain X-rays. They're not supposed to emit x-rays. A lot of times with those kind of tubes, the way that you can emit x-rays is uh, before the tube is is warmed up or or it's been heated up uh, and you apply a huge voltage to it, you actually can strip electrons off of the cathode before it's hot and it's before there's a cloud of electrons in the vacuum of the tube. You're, you're, it's strong enough, the, the electrical field is strong enough to actually rip electrons off, and that results in a x-ray. In fact, there's a great YouTube video of a guy taking a fairly standard audio tube, and he doesn't heat it up at all, and he just puts something like 3,000 volts on the plates and puts a Geiger counter next to it, and it's going nuts. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, you know, you know, you know, for for most like applications where you'd have a tube, which nowadays is like audio amplifiers, um, it's they're not at a voltage high enough to actually emit X-rays. But TVs and old CRT monitors are in the uh, two to three thousand range on the on the glass itself, basically. So technically, it is uh, possible. Gotcha. I haven't opened it up yet, and I wonder if I should open it up eventually to read like the instructions because um, it says please read carefully but on the back it says note please allow approximately two weeks for the return of your ray alert tv x-ray rating report so i guess you expose the film i guess that's what's in here to your tv and then you have to ship it off so for two weeks your tv can still be bombarding you with x-rays <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good you know <laughs> that oh Maybe little Timmy shouldn't be sitting two feet from the TV now. And he's got like a third eye stalk growing out of his forehead now. <laughs> well, I think, okay, so let's, let's all be honest. We, they, the kids sat close to the TV because the TV was like eight inches wide. Like, can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is funny. I actually, um, I actually just bought a TV the other day, um, and it's supposed to arrive. Like, tomorrow, I think, a 55-inch 
I can't remember what technology it is. A 55 inch TV costs between three and four hundred dollars nowadays. Like that's insane that it's that cheap now to, to make something like that. Well, yeah, just how much I always think about it is like the material, how much material is there? You know, um, that's why I always think uh, like it's like gasoline. It's and in the United States it's fairly inexpensive compared to the rest of the world, but like there is so much energy in a gallon of gasoline. It's like right now in Texas, it's like a dollar eighty for a gallon. That's cheap. <laughs> and everyone's gonna be like, ah, but well, whatever. <laughs> it's it's but about it's like, the same here. And I'm like, even at like California prices at four bucks a gallon, that's still very inexpensive for what how much energy is in a gallon of gasoline. That yeah, that's how I always view it is like materials and energy consumption. Like milk. Milk is horrendously energy inefficient to make to like take care of that cow and stuff. Yet it's two dollars a gallon. <laughs> well, yeah. It's 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 that because gasoline has so much energy in it. What? Milk? Yeah, and milk is is cheap because of gas. Possibly, yeah. So so um you know what's cool about this TV I just bought? What? I've been to the factory where this TV was built, and I know the guys who built it. That's kind of oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it was built in Tijuana. It was built in Tijuana. Yeah. So that's cool. I've I, you know, it's probably not the I probably didn't see this one being built because those guys were building four thousand TVs a day, but uh, oh, but I know I know the line that it went on, which is really cool. It's like. Um when you say 4,000 TVs a day, it's like, man, we buy that many TVs? Okay. No, no, no. L- let me put this into perspective. It's not that we just buy that many TVs. This one factory was producing 4,000 TVs a day purely for the Christmas season. Not for just like regular consumption, only for the Christmas season. And they were doing 4,000 TVs a day for six months like, yeah, that's that, ridiculous. That's insane, dude. <laughs> it, it, it always reminds me of um, what's another like high volume. Man, I, I just had a I had a high volume thing that you wouldn't think that we, mattresses. You like so here in Houston is like Houston's famous for how many mattress stores we have. It's like it's like a meme. <laughs> we online. got mattress Mac out there. We got a guy but, who on TV who cuts mattresses with a chainsaw. Yes. <laughs> But it's like on almost every other corner here in Houston, there is a mattress store. And it's like, who who buys that many mattresses? There's a lot of people in Houston. Yeah, I know. But it's like, it's just one of those things like me and you, like we don't buy mattresses all the time. Like when's the last time you bought a mattress? Oh, years ago. Uh, yeah. Or no, you just moved. So it could have been recently. <laughs> No, well, uh, well, I, I got a new mattress, but my, my my in-laws wanted to come and stay with us, so they actually bought a mattress for them to sleep on. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so it, so it's like the it's like I bought a mattress five years ago, but it's like how so if you buy a mattress like once every it's supposed to be like once every eight years according to the advertisements, right? Because of course they want you to buy more mattresses. Um, big mattress is coming for you. <laughs> big mattress. <laughs> um, mattress Mac is coming for you. Um, no, mattress Mac is cool. He's cool. Yeah. He's a good. He's the patron saint of mattresses here in Houston. Yeah, um, he he's a legit guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, um, so it's like 
it's one, it's like one of those items that you don't buy a lot of, but yet as a society, we consume so many of them. It's like cars. Like most people, you know, buy a car every five years or whatever. Unless you're me and you only buy Jeeps. Um, and you, but you like drive out in the middle of nowhere and there's like a dealership that's got like 8,000 cars on it. And it's like, who is buying these cars? <laughs> they, they, and somehow they all go. And they all sell. It, it, it's amazing how, you, I guess you just don't think of like, like the grand scale of the population that way. Um, yeah, especially, yeah, no, you even go out, you go out to the boonies and you see a, like a, a place that has like 400 trucks and each one of those trucks are like the supreme, like $60,000 model, you know? Yes. Crazy. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's also, you know what? That's coming from a Texas perspective where everyone drives a $60,000 truck. truck. <laughs> yes. As, as like a commute truck, you know? Yes. I'm yeah. going to drive this 10 miles a day. Yeah, to work. And yes, it's work. a dually, and I live in the suburbs. <laughs> yes. And, and, and 90% of the time, I'm stuck in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, yep. So, Stephen, what have you been up to? This is now the ma- the Mattress Engineering Podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Interesting topics for our third year anniversary, Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to look back at this one. Uh, so, you know... I kind of started ratcheting things up here. Uh, now I finally have a basement and uh, I finally have like an actual workspace and I've been like equipping myself to be able to actually work. I have a bench now and I just started going nuts. So oh, I see one of those amps back there. Oh yeah. There's actually just out of frame uh, that, that Parker can't see right now there's just like a whole like slew of amps over here so like all like it's funny because when i moved i got rid of most of my functioning electronics and i kept all the broken ones yeah i remember i had to move all those amps oh yeah that was oh yeah i don't know how that u-haul made it up those mountains uh, when 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 i was climbing the mountains when you first come into uh, colorado from texas um i i had it pedal to the metal and i was barely maintaining 40 miles an hour so yeah because um there was many hundreds of pounds of amps <laughs> steven's wife is a school teacher and so all of her stuff was just books oh yeah those were the it was, it was there were small boxes like moving boxes i swear there was lead in them it was just books though and then oh, steven's yeah. as all chassis tube amplifiers and <laughs> transformers and we filled up like swear to god like the largest u-haul i've ever seen with just that stuff <laughs> no, here's here's the funny thing. Just not even a, like a, probably a week ago, uh, my wife Lauren finally uh, admitted that we we technically have about the same amount of stuff. the The thing that that's funny about it is the volume of stuff that I have takes up like a thousand square feet, and the volume of stuff that she has takes up like two hundred square feet. But by weight, they're about equal. <laughs> So what? So who wins that argument? Is it a volume or weight? Oh no, we're just going with equality on this one. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that's the best that's, way to go that's, about it. Yeah, that's the whole point on this yep. one. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, so yeah, I've 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 really gotten back into um, working on amps, which feels super awesome. And 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 honestly, like 
in the past summer and, and and everything, a lot of the projects I was working on, like the the uh, U tracer tube tester and stuff, was all kind of like in preparation for the fact that I know I'm finally going to get a bench back. And and last weekend I ran four new circuits in my basement to get power everywhere and stuff. So, uh, gosh, in the last week. I, I repaired a, a tube amp from my from my buddy and I rewired three of my amps like pretty much from the ground up, which was just a ton of time. But it was ah, it's super awesome. It's a lot of fun. Now, uh, one of the things that's that's great is I sort of made a like a, a rule for myself a while ago where it's like the first amp I ever built. I was 17. I was in high school and I just I didn't know what I was doing. I built it and it actually worked. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. And uh, and I made this rule. It's like, I'm never going to touch this thing. It's going to be like a relic. And then I put it on my bench. And I was like, nope. And I gutted the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the old bronze and green one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that, that one. Um and and just completely gutted it and rebuilt it from the ground up, and it sounds awesome now. And a like a good buddy of mine has had it for a week now, and and he's drooling all over it. Uh, but but the the whole point of bringing that up is that it's it's always fun to look at electronics that you did in the past because it's one of those things where I crack it open and I'm like, ooh, I did that. Like I made those decisions. <laughs> I've done that with electronics, like the uh, like layouts. Yeah, and open up old old you know, Eagle files and be like, Ooh, <laughs> yikes. What was I thinking doing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I bet you though, in a couple of years, I want to look at the boards I'm doing now and be like, ah, that's bad. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, uh, and, and even rewiring this amp now, like if I have it in another 10 years, I'll look at it and be like, ah, oh, what did I, why, why did I do that? You know, like, cause, so. cause you're always learning new techniques yeah, and better ways of doing stuff. Right. Well, and, and that kind of leads into one other thing that I was kind of messing with. W one of the other amps uh, I, I, I rewired uh, is, a, is a clone of a Soldano amp, which is a, a brand out there. Uh, and they had a, they've had a classic amplifier that was designed in 1985, and it's still in production now, uh, called the SLO 100. Uh, I think that stands for Super Lead Overdrive 100, and it's a 100-watt amp. Go figure. Uh, That's so, a cool name for an amplifier, though. Yeah, I, I, everyone just calls it the slow. And uh, so I built that. That was actually the second amp I ever built after I built that green and gold one. And and it it's always worked. It's a great amp, but it, it always had issues. It was noisy and uh, a handful of other things, you know, that I've had to maintain over the years. But um, I rewired it and did a lot better wiring practices and stuff. In fact, my, my goal is to put it in a completely different chassis eventually, uh, which I have that on order and it's on its way, but I just wanted to get it back up and running. And, and one of the things that was interesting is, uh, re with rewiring it, knowing what I know now, I redid the grounds and I redid a lot of things and paid a lot more attention to, you know, where my currents are flowing and high currents versus, you know, um, high gain signals and things like that. And, Upon turning this on, you know, after doing all the wiring, it's actually surprisingly dead silent. Dead silent meaning it doesn't have hum or buzz. It has a ton of hiss in it. Uh, it's actually pretty loud with the hiss, but zero hum and buzz, which that's actually kind of difficult to achieve. Um, and it's really interesting because with old tube amps and things, they, 
even though they they all play by exactly the same rules as every other electronic device out there, like you just have to do things differently. It, mm-hmm. it, it like everything still applies. All the physics are still there, but you just have to do everything differently. That's why they're still wired the way they are. And uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting. But but all the hiss that's in that amp is due to the fact of that um, there's a lot of old resistors that have taken a beating and they've just grown to be um, noisy and hissy. So I actually need to replace most of the resistors in the signal path. So is it like, is that just like hitting the the resistors hard with signals and like transient spikes basically? Yeah. And causing like the carbon or whatever the filament is to degrade? Yeah, that's right. I use metal film for most of the resistors on that because metal film is generally low uh, noise. And uh, but but some of them is due to just being hot and running lots of current through it and just, you know, beating it up uh, that can cause a resistor to age and be noisy. And this amp is. Oh, gosh, how old is it? Uh, Over a decade now. So it's, uh, you know, and it's seen a lot of abuse. So it's not surprising that it needs a little love Mm -hmm. on that. Also, it's it's interesting. uh, You know, something that would be really fun one day is to kind of like dive into noise, not necessarily in amplifiers, but noise in electronics as a whole. Uh, Because if you've ever done like gain calculations across stages, like analog stages, uh, and determining what components are really sensitive and what components are not sensitive as in like which components should you put your your energy and focus on when designing it mm-hmm. that's a really interesting topic to dig into and it's really interesting on tube amps there is one resistor that dominates the noise in the entire amp noise in terms of hiss and that's the very first resistor that goes into the amp because that just there's so much gain after it it's your loading resistor right that's the resistor that uh, keeps out res- uh, radio noise. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember you were talking about that one. Right. So, so uh, you know, I bet you if I just replaced that one resistor with a new one, I'd probably get rid of half the noise on this thing. So, um, but but I've also uh, and you live far you live farther away from Texas now too, so you can lower that resistance. I'd still pick up at Tejana Station, guaranteed. Oh, you would, no some matter what. Some, yeah. Heard it on the X. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so I, I did. I have actually busted out my old uh, U tracer. Not old. <laughs> I just did that a few. Yeah, months you ago. Just, that was like the last yeah. project you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been using that extensively actually uh, in the last couple of weeks because I I have all my boxes of tubes and stuff out now. So I've been cataloging all my t- tubes and testing them, and it's it's so much nicer than it used to be with uh, with the old tester, and it works works really great. But in, in doing all of that, I have uh, 10 EL34 tubes that I've been testing, and there's a particular reason why I've been going through all these EL34 tubes, because I resurrected the macro amp. And for those who've been listening for a while, those who've been listening for a long while will know that I've had a... It's uh, not the oldest project It's that's not no, finished, no. but it's like... The third or second oldest <laughs> that's not finished. <laughs> well, the, no, every project is not the oldest project. There's only one, like, just across the board that is the oldest, you know? So, oh, yeah. And so the macro amp here uh, was was a tube amp that I designed a long time ago. Gosh, we were in the old building at Macro. Old warehouse, yeah. 
And it's funny because I have all the parts. I've got everything to build. I got the enclosure. I got the boards made and everything. It just never got like put together and wired up. Uh, but I have. Uh, but it runs on two EL thirty four tubes in the power amp. But it uses some of the Korg new tubes, uh, which are the vacuum tubes that are put inside of a VFD kind of like shell. Yeah. Uh, which I've been using that as a headphone amplifier at work to listen to music to. And I, uh, and I was like, you know what, it's time to kind of like pull that back out and put it back on the, the, the healing bench. <laughs> healing bench. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so I, I built some shelves. So I'm actually trying to get a little bit organized here. I built some shelves in my, in my basement and put every major project on the shelf such that Oh, and the shelf is right at the stairs when I walk into my basement, such that every time I walk into my basement, I have to see everything I haven't done yet. <laughs> oh, no, it's, like no it's, it's good motivator. Uh, I think that's torture. So I've, I've actually, I, I have a, uh, I have a Trello board now that I've made for my shelf here, and each item on that shelf has a Trello board or its own like card with like, what is the next thing I need to do on this? So I'm trying to knock those away. And that's why like doing a bunch of amplifiers is like, those were low hanging fruit. Those were things that I could do in an afternoon or over a weekend and, you know, kind of get it back up and running. So, um, I was going to give an update on the Venti Q, my 20 band EQ, uh, device, but, uh, I made, that's now on the shelf now, right? Uh, gosh, I don't even know where that one is right now. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> no. on the shelf. No, I, I'm joking. It's on the shelf. It's in a box on the shelf. Um, so, so one of the things, the last I left it was it's working, but it need, it needs a little bit of love, you know, some just tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. And so what I was building, in fact, uh, give, give me a second. I've got it right you were here. You're building a tester. Yep. I, yeah. built, I, bu- I built a little tester on some perf board here. Uh, I made a rookie mistake, though. Uh, and it's funny because it's not, it was like, I made a skilled rookie mistake. And, and, and here, no, here is the, here's, <laughs> here's the reason why. So always remember to overbuy parts. If you're going to, if you're going to buy parts and they're cheap, just overbuy and, and throw them in a bin somewhere. Like on my floor over here, I have bins of like excess parts and I use them all the time. Like it's totally worth buying over. And here's the reason why. So I was building this little test bed and the whole point of this test bed was just to be like little pigtail wires that I could test my, all the bands on my, on my board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had the, I bought one connector to connect my bands into one of those PCI connectors and I started wiring to it. And then I was like, Oh, I could add this. And so I started wiring to that. And then I said, Oh, I could add this. And I started adding wires. And before too long, like I ended up melting the connector from like (laughs) doing a little bit too much extra work on it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't have an extra connector and now it can't work. So I had to shelf this and buy an extra connector, which it arrived the other day. But mm-hmm. now it's just like, why didn't I buy two of them? They're like 40 cents. But because of that, I had to, I had to, you know, shelve it for a couple extra days and not put any work into it. And also I, in the meantime, I also figured out a much better way of doing this. So what I mean by made a skilled rookie mistake, I made the rookie mistake of not buying extra. The skilled part was like, I was adding useful things over and over and, uh, ended up just 
that was not a good way of doing it. And those those connectors are not necessarily intended to have pigtail wires connected to them. So I'm just going to sacrifice one of the extra PCBs I bought that has the footprint on it, and I'm going to wire to the PCB, which is much better. So, so yeah, that's that's my section. Cool. So we, we were talking about this before the podcast, and Stephen and I have always wanted to make a video game. And so we have this like grand vision of like a point click adventure space game, um, like, like the old Lucas Arts. Uh, yes, you know, you point and clicks. Those are so great. Yeah, and the the problem with that is we either have to bring in more talent, right? Because I'm we're not animators. We can't do drawings or anything. Like we can code and make music. That's but like yeah, yeah. That, that's, a third that's of the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right, so. Right. And so we, we decided, hey, what if we made a text-based adventure game like Zork? And so we can... Let, let's so describe def- Zork for a second, just, just okay, go because ahead. we might have some younger... Because uh, Zork was an old... Gosh, I think it was a MIT grad students created Zork, and it was a uh, all-text adventure game. So basically it was just like playing a game in command prompt where you just type in everything you want to do kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but you play by yourself and with your computer. So it's like extra sad, but, <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, it was one of those games, games where like, it would say like, you're standing in a field. There's a house to the east. And it, and yeah. It would explain, describe it and be like, what do you want to do? Walk North. And you would walk North and it, it would describe the area around you again. Ye find flask, pick up flask. Ye pick up flask. <laughs> And if you went into uh, dark areas, that, that was where the gruels lived. And the grues, you. yeah. You've been eaten uh, by a gru. If you've ever heard that, that's what that game's from. That, that's from Zork. And so my idea was, like, hey, let's take our space game idea and make it a text-based adventure game so we can actually, like, build the story, story in quotes, the world, the map, because then we can take that later and apply graphics to it. Because a, t- a point-and-click game is basically Zork with graphics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's actually it's actually a lot faster because you don't have to watch the graphics. Like as soon as you hit enter, everything takes place, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, and I was thinking, like, what would be really cool is, I mean, we would probably give it out for free, like uh, something that you can download, but put it on a thumb drive, like a microcontroller, and that you plugged into your computer, and then it co- you comported into it. And that was the world was on that thumb drive. And I think that would be a really cool concept because that way we could do a little bit of hardware design, but not much. And, um, and I think if we did like a sci-fi space electronics, kind of like a, what, what would you call it? Um, there's a game. It'd have to, it'd have, to have the, the, the word cyber in it somewhere. Yes. Uh, like, well, there's that game Cyberpunk. What twenty seventy seven is coming out? Yeah. But yeah, like a cybery kind of game because then yeah. it makes sense to have that thumb drive. That's like that's you going into the world kind of way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you, okay, so a quick thing that we could add to it that would be really easy is to put a little buzzer on it and PWM it. So all, like the music for the game comes from the stick. So it's like an old three eighty six computer where it just had a buzzer in it. You know. I like I like this idea. Yeah, yeah, I like this idea. I I think we can totally pull that off. 
You know, actually, you know what we're doing is we're basically making a um, uh, DEFCON badge. <laughs> you know, in oh, effect, yeah. <laughs> it's basically just a badge. <laughs> but it's a little thumb drive, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool, yeah. So I think I'm going to go up to Steven's place up in a- around April time, and I think we're going to hash out the entire map and world and how everything interconnects, all the items, and then we'll just start applying code to it and see where we get with it. Make an entire game that is firmware, like no software. I mean, that's what Zork is. <laughs> exactly. But no, like this this game is just like a USB plug and play. Yes. Cool. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Would be, Yeah, yeah, I, I like the idea. And, and frankly, the hardware side of it is like, Okay, just whatever controller that'll just talk serial over USB. Yeah, we make sure we have enough RAM and ROM and and then an IO pin to do the buzzer. And yeah, that's that's it. Oh, I think it would have to have an RGB LED as well because then you can have the <laughs> color of what room you're in. You know, okay, that's really funny because I was literally just about to say, okay, I, I was thinking having three individual LEDs and like maybe there's a part where you're like you're having to like hack a safe or something like that and you have to like look at the code and, and like read it or something like that. Oh, I like that idea too. I think there's like, a lot of cool ideas we can play with. There's like secrets you could put in there, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something we can do with that where it makes that dongle, because that's what we're doing. We're building a dongle for it is, is part of the game. Yeah. Oh man, that's kind of cool. Like to advance in the game, if somehow you have to hack hardware, that's kind of cool. <laughs> it's actually a cool idea too. I like yeah. that. Yeah, these are all good badge ideas. We're giving them away for free. Uh, we'll do it in April. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just we'll just go out to a bar and just sit there for a while and come up with a weird game. All right, cool. And it's it has to be cyber something. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's roll on over to the RFO. The rapid fire opinions. So uh, the first one on here, I actually found on Hackaday, and it kind of goes along with what I was talking about with all all the AMP stuff. There's a really great article uh, that was featured on Hackaday. Uh, it's it's about a um, power supply design for clean jazz amps, and really, it's more about just power supply design. Uh, just the application that this was being used in is a clean jazz amp and the the guy who wrote the blog the blog post um talking about the actual power supply his name is uh vasily ivanenko i'm not great at pronouncing ivanenko we'll go with this that. guy is straight to my heart because i went to his blog and the first thing he says is work safety safely prevent accidents and fires and he has like the first thing you need is fire extinguishers to do this project and i'm like i like this guy <laughs> Well, I think he's talking about that because he's legitimately plugging into mains, and 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 what's really kind of cool about it is if you if you look at just like even the 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 top picture of what he's doing, he's got a Manhattan style power supply that he built out of PCBs that has mains power going into it, which is like oh yeah, look at that. That's that's cool. that's like a guy after my heart where it's like oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> like, oh, and he's made a shield stuff. and soldered the shield together. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I like it's, this guy. So so th- this uh, so it, even if you're not into like amps or whatever, go read this article. It's a great a- analysis of power supplies, um, and he goes pretty in in depth with. Excuse me. Um, controlling where your currents flow and grounding schemes and all the you know ins and outs of of 
how to properly connect everything together. Because a power supply, is, a lot of times we think of it as like a power switch, ground, and a wire that delivers juice. And that's that's it's a lot more than that. And and it's uh, you'll get in trouble if you if you apply that mentality to every circuit you work on. So go check out this this uh, blog post. It's pretty great. I think it's the first of three that he's coming out with. Uh, and so it's pretty extensive for the first one. Um, yeah, great read. Yep, I like this a lot. And so go check it out. And I, I just like his construction techniques. and His construction techniques are the kind where it's not super professional, but it's very like... I guess the right word is like sort of academic as in he's like, I'm building this to prove a point as opposed to building this to make it look nice, which is I, and I like his, it. um, his, they're kind of like schematics, but they're more like, um, system schematics, like an overall thing. I really like how he's drawn those as well. Yeah. 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 He put a lot of effort into it. So and go check and that out, any, anytime someone does Manhattan style, I'm thumbs up on that. Even though I've technically never built a Manhattan style myself, I, I'm I don't know if I'm that crazy. All right. So the next article is bees can do simple arithmetic, hoping uh, offering hope to low gate count AI. <laughs> so that's a title. <laughs> I I think we we basically we were searching for RFOs earlier, and I found that one. <laughs> And it was just like, I, I didn't even read the article at first. I just sent it to Parker and I was like, this, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> so apparently they used shapes that are different colors to figure out if bees can do math. And apparently they have some way of doing arithmetic. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really stripped down way of proving that. Uh, and basically what they did was they, they had multiple tests that the bees could do and, and they got statistical analysis on how many times bees got it right and wrong. And the, in terms of the arithmetic bees were getting it right more often than they were getting it wrong. So they said bees can do arithmetic. <laughs> yeah. And something like at best 72%. Yeah. And so the whole idea is with this is, Maybe going forward, we can use simpler machines than we think we have to to do AI, which makes sense because bees brains are a lot simpler than human brains. But also it's like if a car was only going to be like a self-driving car was only correct 72 percent of the time, there'd be a lot of dead people. <laughs> yeah, on the road. We'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I don't I don't quite buy that jump, but. Okay, let's let researchers have their fun with their bees. That's kind of a clickbaity article for engineers, you know. A little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, and the last RFO for this week is a flowchart on electrical component selection. And this I looked at, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is like me in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so, and so you start at the very beginning, and it is how much do I like data sheets? <laughs> That's a great place to start. That's the first start. If you like data sheets a lot, you go to DigiKey and Mauser. If you don't, you go to Adafruit, SparkFun, and Palulu and get like a breakout board that has Arduino code, right? And you go through that thing. Um, the best thing is characteristic curves saturate my emitter is if you like data sheets. <laughs> I thought that was great. That's awesome. Um, 
And so it goes discrete, yes, apply filters. And then you look at the results and it always, it goes to zero remaining. Surely it exists somewhere. <laughs> yeah, like that's the, that's the end result. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. And then there's, and this has gone off you uh, with like always buying extra parts. I don't need a 100 amp, 100 volt MOSFET now, but I'm sure it'll come in handy sometime. Order update, 25 high powered MOSFETs added to your cart. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't follow the flow chart. <laughs> yeah. I th- that's the, the, the beginning of that where it breaks off and you either go DigiKey or Mazer or add a fruit and spark fun. That's perfect. That's so great. So AEK0707 of Reddit, that is hilarious. Yeah, super. <laughs> you get all the upvotes. That, this thing, discrete, no. Apply obscure, unhelpful, and irrelevant filters. That is totally what it is. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's been been trolling yeah. or, or lurking on Mauser for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, hey, that hey, was, that hey, was great. Hey, hey, it kind of as a, a follow-up, a few weeks ago, we talked about Mauser changing their website. Have you used it much? Uh, yes, and the filters are fine. It's You still got to scroll over for that filter box still. <laughs> yeah. It's so annoying. Yep, yep, yep. I, I, I've been using it a bit. I mean, it's fine, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on yeah. it. Yeah, it's like just make it so that all the filters fit on one page or make it so that it goes double row. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and allow me to use my middle mouse wheel anywhere on the page, not in, in like a little defined area. Cool. So that was the third anniversary of the MacFab engineering podcast. Thank you to everyone who listens. Yes. Thank you everyone. Um, and to another year and more years after that, um, we were your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. Our Slack channel isn't three years old yet, but we have over 300 and... 20 some odd people in that uh, channel. <laughs> Steven <laughs> making goofy faces at me in the uh, chat. Um, if you're not subscribed to that podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps this show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.